and know that you are in his favor, and if you will have to fight, he will aid you in the event of a siege. And he well knows that you have much suffering to endure from the hardships that these treasonous Burgundian enemies afflict on you. So he will deliver you, if it pleases God. This is an excerpt from a letter written by Joan of Arc speaking to the citizens of Reims about King Charles VII of France. This is one of three letters that included Joan's original signature, which is especially rare because she couldn't read or write. On Military Heroines of History, I, your host, Catherine, will outline the lives of the most influential women in the military. Joan's life starts in the small village of Domremy in Champagne on January 6, 1412. She was raised in a peasant family, the youngest of five children. At this time, the Hundred Years' War was raging in Europe between the Armanacs, King Charles VII of France, and the Burgundians, allies of the English. Joan's village of Domremy had re remained loyal to Charles. Joan was a very pious child. She would often spend her afternoons in pastures, alone with sheep and cattle. She would also spend hours in prayer and would help those poorer than herself. It was at the age of 13 when she first had a manifestation of a supernatural nature. She would have visions and hear the voices of Saints Michael, Margaret, and Catherine. These came to be known as her voices or her counsel. She was very reluctant to speak of these voices, even to her confessor, but she would always say, I see them with these very eyes as well as I see you. These voices are what urged her to go speak with one of Charles' commanders, Robert Baudricourt, in the neighboring town of Valcoulour. He treated her with little to no respect, saying she should go back to her father for a good whipping. But France was in no position to refuse help, even if it was from a peasant girl. They were becoming more desperate in the war, and their defeat was almost imminent by the end of 1428. Joan's voices kept urging her to go meet with Baudricourt again, but she was afraid and answered, I am a poor girl, I do not know how to ride or fight, and yet her voices would not yield, saying it is God who commands it. Finally, Joan submitted and once again headed to Valcoulour. During these trips, she traveled with her uncle, Duran Lussoy, against her parents' will. Baudricourt was still doubtful of what Joan had to say, but she was persistent and he eventually granted her an audience with the king in Chinon. Keep in mind, throughout this entire endeavor, she was dressed in men's clothing and was very modest. This next part is probably one of my favorite parts of her story. When she went to go meet with the king, the king wanted to test her, so he disguised himself as an attendant. When presented these attendants, among other very powerful nobles in France, she immediately saluted the king. Her voice is also revealed to her a sign for the king that only he would understand. She, never, she would never reveal to anyone else what this sign was, but this sign came to be known as the secret of the king. The secret of the king helped convince the king of her mission and that it was vital for France in the war. Before she could be employed in military operations, she had to go through an examination by bishops and doctors. She traveled back to Chinon to prepare for her military campaign, and there the king offered her a sword to take into battle. She refused this sword, sending instead for, quote, a sword in the church of St. Catherine de Fierbois, behind the altar, and immediately afterward it was found, all rusted. Asked how she knew the sword would be there, 
She replied that this sword was in the ground, rusted upon which were five crosses, and she knew it to be there through the voices. This quote came from a letter to the clergy of St. Catherine de Fierbois, dictated by Joan, asking for the sword. Joan started her military campaign with a bang, immediately summoning the King of England. His advisors could not believe the audacity of the demand. Once summoning his troops to Orleans, she laid siege on his troops with great victory on April 30th. By May 8th, all the English forts encircling the city had been captured. Joan was wounded in the breast by an arrow, and she wanted to push even further into English territory, but King Charles and his advisors were reluctant to go so fast. An interesting fact about this siege is that about a week before, on April 22nd, Joan had a manuscript delivered to Brussels about these events. The maid, it reports, said, quote, that she would save Orleans and would compel the English to raise the siege, and that she herself in battle before Orleans would be wounded by a shaft but would not die of it, and that the king, in the course of the coming summer, would be crowned at Reims together with other things which the king keeps secret, end quote. The reason she was so eager to go further into English territory was because her voices revealed to her that she would only last about another year. Whether that meant a year to live or a year left in battle, I do not know. Joan urged that her king keep moving forward and eventually convinced them to start a short campaign at Lure, which after a string of victories ended on June 18th with an especially great victory at Patay, where the English reinforcements stationed there were completely routed. With this victory, the route to Reims was now open, but it was a long journey, and her commanders wanted to retire at Troy, which still had English troops in their way. Once they captured Troy, they made their way to Reims, where the king was crowned, just as Joan had said. This was the entirety of Joan's mission in the military, to expel the English from French soil. While it was not entirely completed, some say Joan was ready to return home after this siege. Unfortunately, Joan was detained with the army against her will. The French made an attempt to assault Paris and St. Denis, a small town outside of Paris, on September 8th. On this raid, Joan was shot through the thigh with a crossbow. She was dragged out of battle and the assault was abandoned and she laid down her arms in St. Denis. Joan went home after she was injured to recover. Many historians believe that this time was very hard and miserable for Joan. It was not until April of the next year that she could return to the field and go back into battle. Her voices revealed to her that she would be taken prisoner before Midsummer Day. Now that Joan was back in the military, the French decided to throw themselves into Compiègne on May 24th to defend the, defend the French town against a Burgundian attack. By the evening of that day, she resolved to attempt a sortie. A sortie is a military attack made by troops coming out of a position of defense. Joan's little troop of about 500 men took on a much larger enemy. This sortie did not work, and her troops relied on simple fighting with no strategy. The commander at Compiègne was Guillaume de Favet. When Joan's troops were overpowered, they tried to retreat through the drawbridge. Guillaume de Favet 
had the drawbridge raised while many of her troop, including herself, were still trapped inside. It is important to note that throughout her entire military career, Joan was treated with much apathy and ingratitude by her king and her king's advisors. This is why they would not listen to her when she urged them to keep moving, and this apathy did not change when she was taken prisoner. With just some military power, they could have taken their own prisoners and given those in exchange for Joan, but instead they did nothing. She was taken prisoner by a follower of John of Luxembourg, who then sold her to England. The English very much wanted to take her Joan's life, partly because they were scared of her and superstitious of her abilities, and partly because they were afraid of the dread that she inspired. Legally, they couldn't take her life, but they could sense her as a witch and a heretic. Joan was forced to go to trial examinations at Rouen, despite the fact that she was captured at Compiègne. Joan's examination started in January, but she only appeared before the judges for the first time on the 21st of February in 1431. As a prisoner, she was kept in the castle of the Rouen, a secular prison, and her guards were Englishmen. She greatly opposed this and demanded that she be kept in a church prison where her guards would be women. Many historians believe that this was to protect her modesty. The court did not meet her demands, and at one point she tried to escape by throwing herself out of a window of the Tower of Beauvoir. This only resulted in her getting beat for her actions. And when I say she was kept in a castle, this does not mean that she was given good living conditions. Much on the contrary, she was kept in an iron cage, chained by the hands, feet, and neck. During these examinations, a majority of the questions asked to Joan were regarding the voices she heard. They asked her to swear that she would tell the truth about these things regarding her faith, to which she replied, quote, Of my father and my mother, and of what I did after taking the road to France, willingly I will swear, but of the revelations which have come to me from God, to no one will I speak or reveal them, save only to Charles my king. And to you I will not reveal them, even if it cost me my head because I have received them in visions and by secret counsel and am forbidden to reveal them. They also asked her extensively about the secret of the king, and at first she revealed that an angel brought a crown to the king, but later she contradicted herself and became very confused about the subject. These examinations ended on March 17th. The main charges against Joan was that she made false claims about her voices and the fact that she wore men's clothing. She was threatened with torture, and she also consented to sign a retraction whose terms are still unknown. She ended up never signing the document and returned to prison. On May 29th, a court of 37 judges unanimously decided that Joan should be treated as a heretic and that she would be sentenced to death. The next day, Joan was killed, receiving confession and holy communion before her death. After her death, her ashes were thrown into the Seine. Joan was canonized in 1920 by Pope Benedict XV. Joan of Arc was possibly the most famous woman in military. She is the patron saint of soldiers, which I think says a lot about her. She gives an example for both men and women in the military. She was courageous until her final breaths and even in those, she praised God. Thank you for tuning in to Military Heroines of History, and I hope you will join me next week.